This Meeting on the Go podcast is brought to you by the San Francisco Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. I would have thought with two attractive women, we'd start with the women first, but that's the way things are. I notice there are 12 men here, not that I count the audience or anything like that. You need something louder than me? Um, to quickly qualify, I've been in uh, OA for over 26 years. I'm maintaining about 110-pound weight loss. Uh, started in Palo Alto, m- uh, moved up to, San- to, uh, to Santa Rosa, and uh, have spoken to this, the sponsoring group here uh, a couple of times over the years. And let me just simply add that uh, for those of you who put on this uh, Unity Day, I'm appreciative and thankful for the invitation as well. I want to talk about three mountains and a molehill. For those of you who know me well, you know we have real problems with moles where I live. and We've been trying to kill them off, but they're smarter than I am. My wife went to Stanford. I went to Cal, and they're still smarter than we are. (laughs) The... uh, the reason I've broken it down into the categories I have is, one, because I'm cold and mountaintops are cold, and secondly, because I think it relates to what really did happen to me in my life. Uh, let me start with uh, the fact that I came from a family. Uh, my father had a fifth-grade education. My um, mother went through the 11th grade. My dad was born in Indian Territory. My grandfather ran from uh, Arkansas because he was accused of murder. Um, My great-grandmother was a full-blooded Cherokee Indian. Um, I'm not quite sure what characteristics still show through, but I say it with pride nonetheless. I was a normal-sized youngster until the fifth grade. My brother had developed a brain tumor. I came home from school that day and he had died. And the uh, mortician was there. The, uh, everybody else who was involved with it was there. Uh, my mother said to my sister and I that we should uh, uh, go next door to our neighbors and she would look after us. Now, this is in the days before television, so the neighbor in trying to look after us uh, uh, said, would you like to listen to the Lone Ranger? Sure. So the Lone Ranger's turned on. And about that time, my mother walks in, and she looks at us, she says, I'll dare you, having a good time while your brother lies in there dead. Uh, In the case of my sister, she was never able to go to a cemetery again, even though she lived only five miles from where our parents were buried. She developed uh, a series of compulsions. Overeating was one of them, and she died prematurely. Um, in my case, it's much more noticeable. I went from an average size fifth grader to when I went out for the sixth grade flag football team on the very first play of the very first game, the coach on the other side called the referee over and said, that kid's too fat. Get him off the field. So they took me off the court, off the field. They, they took me into the gym. They weighed me, and I weighed too much. And so that was the first consequence of overeating that I faced. That was a mountain, and it has influenced me my entire life. Um, 
The second mountain occurred when I was in high school. Um, I was still athletic. I had gone out for the uh, uh, junior varsity football team, and I was the uh, starting second string and sometimes third string right tackle. But I felt there was some kind of a void in my life, even though I was very active in all sorts of things. And I concluded that that void was the fact that my parents never went to church, and I, I wanted something to go for that gave me more than just a glimmering of what life was all about. So I wound up going to church by myself, and it was a wonderful feeling. I had found a place where I could feel at home. The next spring, six months later, I go from second or third string tackle to starting varsity tackle. Now, I'm not claiming divine intervention. <laughs> I'm merely saying that there's something that goes on in the mind that affects our behavior. And consequently, that's what went on in my weight. I had uh, then gone through all the efforts where you pay money to lose weight, and, you know, things like sick aversion therapy and Weight Watchers three times. I had a technique with that. I would wear f fully clothed, first meeting, maybe a heavy jacket to go with it. <laughs> you know what happened. Last meeting, I'm in Zorro's, shorts, T-shirt. Uh, it wasn't their fault. It just, I couldn't do it that way. I needed something else. So then I went and started paying groups and sick aversion therapy, hypnosis, stomach stapling. That was going to be my solution. And about uh, two months or three months before I had to go, and, and at that point I was probably 130 pounds or so uh, over the minimum weight they needed for being able to think about it. Um, I was listening to a radio program on Thanksgiving night. I was just stuffed to the gills. And for the first time I, I heard this call, uh, this lady called in. She said, uh, Doctor, I'm 100 pounds overweight and I can't lose any weight. Louder? Yes, please. Oh, okay, that's easy for me to do. <laughs> Um, I, I'm 100 pounds overweight, and what can I do? He said, go to Overeaters Anonymous. I had never heard of Overeaters Anonymous. For all those years that I had spent individually or with groups or paying money to try to lose weight, I'd never heard of Overeaters Anonymous. So immediately I went, and that was the third big mountain. All three of those things changed my life dramatically. Fact is, after about uh, six months in OA, in which I had honeymoon recovery, uh, the, the bottom line was that uh, I thought I'd get out. And the reason I wanted to get out is that my life was changing so much, I just couldn't bear the consequences of it. If you really get involved with OA, it becomes life-changing. Now, how about the molehill? Aha! I'm not talking now about those fuzzy little animals that run around in my yard. Uh, several years into the program, in which I worked it rigorously and uh, did all the things we were supposed to do, I suddenly discovered that I was gaining weight. I didn't know why. I have never known how I got abstinence, ever. And I've never known how I lost it. But I knew that I was losing it, and I started gaining weight. And the one thing 
I held true to was that no matter what, I was going to keep coming back. And in fact, when I sign in at a regular meeting, I put down my name and then I put down, don't quit before the miracle. I once had an advisee who wrote right after me, get the miracle, then quit. <laughs> he did not understand the nature of the program and he did shortly quit thereafter. turned out that my failure in the program was the second step. And that basically boiled down to, is there a God? Now, I've already indicated it was extremely important to me. Uh, what happened is that I said, well, if there is not a God, there should be a God. I will act as if there is a God. And if there isn't a God and I'm wrong, so what? <laughs> My next step was then to say, well, if there's a God, well, I've already concluded there is, um, why am I having trouble with food? Does this God care about what I eat? And my answer was, if God doesn't, God should, and I will act as if. And abstinence came back right then. It was that simple, that well. I would like to make some references specifically to uh, step one in the remaining time that I have, and that's not much. Uh, I went through the uh, um, OA40 day, one day, the little white book that we have, and I looked up all the areas that dealt with step one. I'd like to read essentially the, the key question for me. question is, if I'm not trying to control my life, if I'm not trying to control my program, why do I weigh and measure food, and why do I weigh on a, on a scale, a doctor's scale, twice a day? Isn't that control? And my answer is, no, it isn't. Because I confess, I lie to myself. I don't do it deliberately, but I'm careless. I forget about things, and so I overeat more than I should. And overeating in itself is not all that good for me. So, bottom line, I concluded that uh, for me, it's important to weigh and measure my foods. I have a nice scale. I weigh it to the grams. In case something like an apple, I might weigh it to the ounce. But I weigh everything. If I'm out in a restaurant, I look for the menu that uh, has the nutrition on it as opposed to just the regular menu. And I order based on nutrition. And if the order is bigger than I can afford to eat, then the waitress takes back the rest. Thank you for listening. I hope I put across one idea that you'll find helpful. If I did, it's been well worth the trip. Say it again. Hi, I'm Mary. I'm a grateful, compulsive overeater. Hi, Mary. And thank you for um, having me here today. I very much appreciate the opportunity to share. Um, my, I... I like to start out with qualifying my home group is Saturday morning at the Open Door Church in San Mateo. Please come down. We have a great room, great group. I'm a member of How OA. I, I have a sponsor who is a How OA sponsor. She has a sponsor who is a How OA sponsor. I never in my wildest dreams would have thought I'd ever be a How member, but it works. It's the only thing that's worked for me. Um, I weigh and measure all my food. I, too, love to... You know, measure everything because I, you know, and I, it's, it's become a regular 
part of my life. Um, fortunately for me, I don't have to eat out a lot, so I don't you know, have those problems, because I always want whatever they serve. It's a great idea to send half back. Um, I came into the program in 1977. I, I was very much in love with OA in the very beginning. I had a great time. I lost a lot of weight. Um, but I also had other addictions, and I went to other meetings, and they served goodies. And I, I like that other meeting a lot better. And, <laughs> and I wasn't really to deal, I wasn't ready. I just wasn't ready to deal with the food. And over the years since then, I have come in and out of OA. I've had consistent abstinence, white knuckle abstinence, abstinence plus. Um, back when I used to go to retreats and stuff, you know, we all brought our, you know, our cups and our measuring cups and spoons and then, We'd always get a big kick out of the night at night when the people that, you know, really had problems with food that brought things to the retreat, the raccoons would go in and get all the goodies and bring them up to the light to open, and we could always tell who was not really abstinent. I mean, it was a big, a lot of fun. Um, needless to say, I wasn't real serious about the program at that time. Um, but I've always had the disease of compulsive eating. I've always had the disease. I've always had shame about my body, shame about what I eat. I've recently been, been in touch with a cousin on Facebook that I haven't seen in years. And, you know, she also is getting her knees replaced because she's obese. And, but we've been laughing about the fact that I can remember almost all occurrences by what I ate and where I ate in my family. Um, you know, we laugh about it. My dad used to say, we just finished breakfast. Why are we now talking about lunch? Well, I had to know, you know, where we're going to go next. Um, it was a big deal in my family for me to be obese. I, you know, I have pictures of me. I didn't look that obese, but I was in my mind, in my dad's mind, because my family had obesity problems. So my dad would monitor my food. At the dinner table, he'd often stick a fork in my hand if I took too much. So I would just make sure I do the dishes and clean up so I can clean off everybody's plates. So like I said, I've always had a problem with the food. I've always had a problem with my body and the shame. And I'm going to fast forward this because I do want to talk for me about the traditions because the traditions are what keep me in Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I, I, just, I, was, I was just dying behind my weight and my food. And I've been in other, the other 12-step program. It's going to be 34 years in April. And I had a real hard time being sober and a, member, and a, and a dignified and a, um, a happy, joyous, and free member of another 12-step program knowing I was killing myself. I was killing myself, and I knew it. And I had two women in my life that um, one was my Al-Anon sponsor and the other one is a good friend who were also, you know, had been dying behind the food. And one in particular, I used to listen to her on the phone while she, you know, would just binge on the weekends. And I, and I knew there was a solution, but I, you know, and I knew there was a solution for both of us, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't ready and neither was she. And, but those two people both came into the program of How OA. And I just really didn't like them anymore. They were best friends, but I didn't like them anymore because they brought their vegetables to dinner and lunch and stuff like that. <laughs> and, but they were powerfully important to me. And one of them, um, she was going off on a vacation, and she said, I said, I just don't want to go. I used to go to the Saturday morning meeting in, um, in San Mateo, and I'd come in late and leave early and complain about everything. And she said, I want you to write out why you hate OA. I want you to write all the reasons you can't come back, all the things you don't want to do. 
And when I get back from my vacation, I'll, we'll talk about it. And this is a woman that doesn't drop in and visit. She doesn't have cups of coffee with friends. But she did that day. She came back, and she sat me down and had me read this over. And the week before, I'd gone to a retreat with my sponsor and my sponsorship family. And at that retreat, I have MS, and my MS had been progressing rapidly. And I was, uh, I was 75 pounds overweight, and I was... It was one of the hottest weekends of our life, I think, that, that particular weekend. And I just had bottomed out. I just, I had bottomed out because people had to bring my food to the retreat. They had to help me walk. I was just a mess. And, and simultaneously, my, my friend came back from vacation. She came to my house, and she says, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And that day, I finally surrendered to the fact that I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm convinced that I have a disease that's life-threatening. That shame will kill me. The physical stuff will kill me, but the shame was killing me. And I've been abstinent ever since, and I've maintained a 75-pound weight loss. Um, and my MS is better, and I'm still aging. I can't stop that. But, <laughs> but I'm, I'm just totally convinced that I am a compulsive eater. I don't question it anymore. I don't fight it. I have been relieved of the obsession for now, just for now. could happen again by 2 o'clock. Who knows? The reason I want to also speak about the traditions is the traditions are what keep me in the program because the traditions are my lifeline to knowing how to act. I don't have a lot of, um, in the family I came from, we weren't taught polite, you know, actions. And I'm also an extrovert, and I also show everything I feel on the outside, and it's real uncomfortable. So I, I did a little research on um, the on the traditions, and, and our spon my sponsor also, we have these retreats where we, we really studied the traditions, and tradition one is about unity. And if anybody ever looks at any of the um, AA websites, grapevine, the traditions checklists are really powerful to take an inventory of yourself and in, in regards to the traditions. And one of them is, have I contributed disunity to um, amongst OA? Have I contributed unity or disunity? And I can say I've been a great person of disunity. I've, you know, I have stirred up crap. And, and that's, you know, one of the things I've done. And one of them was this Saturday morning meeting that I didn't like um, because they had recovery. Well, they met upstairs, and I couldn't get up those stairs. When I was thin, I couldn't, you know, I had trouble getting up those stairs because of MS. And I complained, and I complained. Thank God for some old-timers said, Mary, you need to go find us a new meeting hall. So instead of complaining, I did that. Now we have a great new one. And everybody thinks I've you know, performed a miracle getting this place. It's just I was in the right place at the right time, and I was willing to do the work. Um, how can I contribute to unity of OA? The unity that I like to try to contribute is restrain myself and, um, and you know, restrain a pen and tongue. It talks about in the big book. I have to really do that. And I have to also you know, really think before I talk sometimes. And I also have to make sure that the meetings that I do go to are welcoming, warm, friendly, that we meet the newcomers' needs. We try not to speak amongst ourselves. I try really hard to do that in a meeting to make sure that where we're at, you know, the meeting that we're at is, is joyful. Because, you know, I don't know about you, but the meetings I go to, we have a lot of looky-loos that come in and don't stay. And you never know when there might be that one time, that one meeting, that one pamphlet that you give somebody and reach out to that they're going to help. Um, am I gentle on those who rub me the wrong way? Do I gossip? That's another one of the tradition checklists. Sure, I do. Um, I don't. I, I'm much better at it than I've ever been, but I'm human. 
And I'm very careful with when I do that. I, I have a, you know, like one good friend. We had a situation in our area where somebody needed some, you know, we needed to discuss some issues. We had some problems at a, you know, intergroup level. And instead of talking about it to anybody in the intergroup that I know, the people I know, I went outside the area and discussed it with a friend that I know in another area that lives in another area so that whatever I had to say didn't, you know, wouldn't do any harm. Um, and the other way I try to work the tradition is how am I willing to work it in my home life? Am I willing to sacrifice for my relationship? I'm married to the drunk of my dreams who got married, um, I forget, like, I always forget, 24 years ago. And he's just the greatest guy. And I have to really work this tradition, you know, about unity in our relationship. Is there unity? Do I only put myself first? Do I think about us as a whole? Um, I'm trying to think of what else I wanted to say. I think that's it. I know that I can't do this alone. For me, the we of the program is the most vital thing in my life, is that alone I have just was left to my own devices and I was dying. Um, I work the steps of the sponsor. She doesn't let me off the hook with that. And I'm solid in love with Overeaters Anonymous, and especially for me, the HOW program. So thank you. Hi, everybody. My name is Leslie, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Leslie. I'm glad to be here, and thank you for all those who uh, put in service today. I wanted to first mention the first step um, from Chapter 3 of the Big Book, and it says that we had to, we learned we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were compulsive overeaters. This is the first step in recovery. Um, it's, it doesn't matter if someone else decides that um, I'm a compulsive overeater until I accept that I am, I'm not willing to take any action. I wanted to, oh, I had that in the wrong part. Well, I won't worry about the traditions right now. Um, I hate it when people read things in, in uh, meetings, but I wrote this, and someone had sent it back to me only a week ago, and I had written it after seven days in my, for my first HOW meeting. I, too, am a member of HOW. Um, I come from the Walnut Creek area. Um, I have... I've been in programs since June of 2007, and I have a recommitted abstinence date of July 2008, and I've released 90 pounds. Um, I have a sponsor, I am a sponsor, and I have a service commitment. But a, a cousin had asked me, how do I go from binging one day to uh, weighing and measuring the next? And I, I wrote back, and I said, well, how do I explain addiction, which is the unexplainable? And I said, there comes a time when the high prices just don't matter. Valuable assets like my pride, my physical abilities, my health, my self-esteem, family and friends, etc., drop away. I know every day that deep down inside that I'm willing to pay the price again and again, even though I know it's killing me. I was buying five boxes of frozen dessert popsicles every two, day, two days and eating about 30 to 46 pops each day. I couldn't wait to get home so that I could sit in my chair and eat. I was gaining 10 pounds a month at that point. I dreaded seeing my friends, going to work, even seeing my family because I was so ashamed of my size. I looked at my weight as a character flaw. Oh, look at her, how pathetic. I just knew as soon as I walked into a room, everyone made comments under their breath. Is that self-centered? Yeah, but I knew it was true. Um, and I was up to 211 pounds, and I wore a size 22. And... Um, I t here I talked about the things that, that were my realization. I remember the first time I really noticed my weight um, was that I had a little pebble in my sandal and I shook my foot, but the sandal didn't move because it didn't wiggle on my foot anymore. Um, 
I couldn't bend down all the way to buckle both sides of my um, sandals so that the flap it flapped because I couldn't I'd run out of air on the way down because I certainly I had to expel all the air to bend down um, I couldn't get on the floor to uh, pet the cat um, I'm privileged enough to have a pilot's license and I couldn't fly the two-seater airplane anymore because I couldn't close the door um, and here's something that I loved but it didn't matter I still couldn't wait to get home and sit in my chair I knew I had experience in 12-step programs and I knew that there was a solution and I didn't want to work that hard I held out for a very long time for plan B and it just wasn't coming um, and I said here that um, oh and here I had forgotten this that I actually had to be refitted for contact lenses um, because my edema was so high um, I said, of course, there's no distinction between, oh, I, I've become the body I swore I'd never be, and the shame is insurmountable. Of course, there's no distinction in my mind between body image and self-image. Is this a day I might have to die because I can't stand myself? Is the price too high? You'd be surprised. I, I finally understand, and this is scared the, out of me, I finally understand why young people cut themselves because the pain just gets too great, but you can't escape. And... Um, I ended up at that. I had gone to some OA meetings and I hated them. They were in small church rooms with no windows. And um, <laughs> uh, and I say here, the, the people weren't welcoming. No one stood up for service. No one volunteered to be a sponsor. And as I said, I have some experience in 12-step. And I knew that that's what I needed to make any headway. Um, and this is my first how meeting. I went, the room had huge windows, the sun was out, there must have been more than 30 people there. I asked a woman if I could sit next to her, and I was welcomed. Women gave me their phone numbers, they asked me for mine, and they called. Women volunteered to be sponsors. There were people there with long-term abstinence, which is only allowed foods and no binging. And to top it off, the chairperson told her story, uh, had a, was a long-time abstinent, and she's my new sponsor. Um, I said, I have to call it God's grace because I had enough desperation at the same time I was offered a solution and I was willing to ask for help and I'm willing to do the work. I weigh and measure my food and I call my sponsor every morning. I read my short writing and she gives me the question of the day. I've been on this since the beginning of June. Losing weight is a byproduct of the program, not the focus. The focus is completing the 12 steps as outlined in the book of Alcoholics Anonymous and working with a sponsor, working in service, sponsoring others, attending meetings, et cetera, et cetera. Therein lies the miracle of the recovery of 12 steps. I wrote it on June 14th of 2007, and my first town meeting was June 7th, 2007. And uh, I wouldn't have told you that it was that bad. But it was. Um, and I just remember because I really thought I had to die because there was no other solution. And to me, that's just scary. I, too, didn't know really about, uh, excuse me, Overeaters Anonymous um, until I was told I had to go. Um, I walked into that meeting, and here's where I get to talk about the traditions. Um, it says that the... the um, I don't know if I can find it quickly. The, um, oh, shoot. Anyway, it talks about how the vita the importance of the group, um, the group has to survive or I will die. And it, 
Here we go. Each member of, of Overeaters Anonymous is but a small part of a great whole. OA must continue to live, or most of us will surely die. Hence, our common welfare comes first, but individual welfare follows close thereafter. And, you know, as, as I've heard in, in meetings for a long time, without the we, there is no me. And I think that the reason I was so welcomed in that, or I, I, got, I got hope in that first how meeting, because they practiced unity. They had a solution. They stuck to the topic. They had, they were part, they were active in intergroup. They were, um, they had sponsorship, you know, grand sponsors, sponsors, sponsees, and they all, I mean, to show up at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning, it, actually I have to say today that we had over 50 people, um, and they come from all areas of, of uh, a couple of counties because it's such a fabulous meeting, and I'm privileged to uh, call it my home group. Um, I'm not sure what else I can say about, um, about my recovery except to say that if by sponsor, oh, I know what I can say because I did have a relapse when I said that I have a recommitted abstinence. Um, after a year, actually before that, I'd hit a plateau as far as my weight went, and I got frustrated, so I started adding things, which of course is just opposite of what the of what I was trying to accomplish. But it was my defiance, and uh, it's like I'll eat and I'll show you, and um, but I'm the one that loses, and uh, so of course. All the people that came in at the same time I did were still losing. And I was complaining about this plateau and eating at home. And, um, and finally, I re and my ego was such that I actually picked up a, a chip um, when I was not abstinent because I was too ashamed to tell you. And when, then I realized, and I'm not sure what, what flipped the switch, but that the people I admired most in the meetings, those with had been there for years and kept coming every week, all had recommitted abstinence dates. And so I realized, you know what, they're there not because they know here what to do, it's because they know here because they've had the same experience. And I was able to say, this is what I've been doing. And they said, yes, we did too. This is what we did and how we got through it. And that's the whole idea of sponsorship. Um, so I, I've been abstinent for over two years. And, uh, and part of that is only because I have a service commitment. I have to tell you, it's got a two-year abstinence requirement, and I'm not willing to give it up. So, you know what, I keep my abstinence. There was a Thanksgiving a couple years ago, two years ago probably, where there was this cute little hors d'oeuvre on a plate, and I was, at my, I was at my family's house and with my father in the room, and he did not know anything about my program, and I, he would not have known anything if I'd, if I'd taken a bite. And... I picked it up and I put it in my mouth, but I was having dental work done and I had no front teeth. I was missing four front teeth and I couldn't bite it. And I put it back down. And, um, you know, it's God's grace, who knows? Um, sometimes uh, God uses, you know, ego and vanity and all those other things to, uh, so that I am willing to do what I'm willing to do. And you know what? I'm just not willing to leave. I know this is the last house on the block. I know that if I leave, you can't help me, and if you leave, we can't help you. Um, and we do this because we have experience. We don't have opinions. And I have a sponsor that reminds me of that all the time. If I don't have the experience, I find someone who does. So I thank you very much for having me. It's nice to be here.